Life can be stressful, even under normal circumstances. 2020 has challenged even the most difficult times of life. You need stress relief that goes beyond quick fixes. That's Headspace. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research and can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Go to headspace.com slash C-suite for a free one-month trial. Headspace.com slash C-suite. said the gap between the rich, poor, and middle class is getting wider. And what has happened in America and already and happening in different parts of the world right now, what's going to happen is the middle class is about to get poorer. So we all know when I was a kid in the 60s, we're all worried about the poor. Today, nobody worries about the poor. For most of them, as we all know, there isn't much hope for them. You know, they're going to be poor because the economy has stopped lifting them up. You know, when the, as I say, the tide floats all boats, but when the tide goes out, those that are poor will sink. Now we're talking about saving the middle class. So if you are middle class, or you have friends who are middle class, or you have family members who you're concerned about their financial future, this is a very important show. Because once again, our government has come here to help you, they have come to protect you from the evil capitalists of the world. So they're going to change a few regulations there. They're here to help you save a few bucks and all this. But today's show, we have two guests who will tell you this government regulation is only going to cause more middle class people to become poorer and poorer as they get older. Any comments, Kim? Well, it's interesting. Um, We've got these new financial regulations that are coming down the pike, and they're going to affect you. They're going to affect all of us, and most of us don't even know that they're coming. So we've got two very special guests who are going to talk about these regulations, and we're going to talk about how they might affect you and what you can do about it. And so it's going to be a great show. So our, our guest is a, he's a, often a guest on the program because he's a great friend from Hawaii, fellow rugby player. It's John McGregor, and he's about the only financial planner I trust because <laughs> I give him grief all the time. So John is a certified financial planner. He's the author of a new book set to be released in 2017, Connecting Your Brain to Your Wallet. I like that title better. I give him grief every time he's on the program. His titles are getting better. And he is a certified financial planner. And he's going to be talking about why this new regulation means that the middle class will get poor, most of them. And our second guest is David Macchia. And he's founder and CEO of Wealth2K. He is an entrepreneur who's been working on the retirement income business opportunities since 2004. So, gentlemen, welcome to the program. And welcome. Let's let's uh, let's start with John. What are these new regulations? As you said, they're already installed, I think, in Europe, and they're now coming to America. What is this? Yeah, it's great to be with you guys again. And first, first and foremost, I want to commend you for even talking about this, given the impact that these regulations can and will have on society, on U.S. households, particularly the middle and lower class or the lower net worth, it's interesting, very, very few outlets like yours, very, I have not heard any radio shows even addressing this at this point. So if you have so a 401k, John, if you have a 401k or an IRA, pay attention, right? 
Absolutely. Okay, and I will say even 401k IRA, but and I think David may back me up on this. Eventually, this will apply to all accounts regardless. So these are some unprecedented changes that are going on in the industry um, that are meant to be consumer friendly or meant to help just as Obamacare was. So I consider this the Obamacare for financial services. And we all know what they told us about Obamacare. Your premiums are going down. There's going to be better coverage. If you like your doctor, you get to keep your, your doctor. I think the same unintended consequences are going to come as a result of this. But what essentially is going to happen is a couple of things. It's this fiduciary rule that David can get into, but it's really mandating that advisors are now operating under a different set of mindset as it, as it pertains to clients. And as a result, we're going to see a significant amount of fee compressure. Fees are going to go down for the consumer, which that all sounds good, but we'll get into that. And then regulatory burdens are going to come to the financial advisor, more bureaucracy, more regulatory oversight. So the costs to run a business are going to go up. So essentially, we're going to see this profit squeeze for many, many financial advisors. And as we've seen in other countries, Australia and the UK, what ultimately happened is it forced a lot of financial advisors out of the business. They just couldn't afford to operate under, under their current operations. And I think, as I've seen, as I've heard from other colleagues in the street, yeah, they, many of them are looking for a second career right now. Okay, so what, so what, is the, what specifically is going to happen? Well, David, do you want to get into the intricacies? We need the simple. Are you saying the poor and middle class will not have financial advisors? I think they're going to have less access to financial advisors as they do today because so, the, so, the advisors that are remaining are going to be focused on the wealthier clients. Because their costs are going not up. Going to be able to, because their costs are going up. They're not going to be, a, be able to afford the time and the potential uh, risk. Liability. Uh, legal risk, yeah. liability risk, risk in working with the less so, affluent. So, David, wasn't this whole regulation sold to so that it, financial advisors are supposed to act in the best interest of their clients where many were not? Is that well, how it was sold? Exactly, that's exactly right. You know, many financial advisors dealing with customers are operating as brokers and not fiduciaries. A fiduciary is a legal responsibility to put the client's best interest before your own economic interest. When you're a broker, you don't have to adhere to that standard. You have to adhere to a lesser standard, which is that the product that you're recommending or the investment product that's being sold just be suitable. When you operate as a fiduciary, there's a much greater legal liability that accrues to you because you really have to put the client's interest first. So this law mandates that, and that sounds great, doesn't it? That you have to put the client's interest But you first. have to put a law to do that? <laughs> Aren't they supposed to do to, that? <laughs> they had to create a law that, do, that does that. And by the way, this new law takes effect April 10th of 2017. So in recent months, it's been a real trauma for the financial industry to reconfigure its systems and prepare for this. They spent a lot of money in order to do so. But what it really means in practice is that as was earlier stated, because the financial advisor is going to have so much more legal liability now in dealing with customers, he or she is not going to want to touch the business of a client with a small balance. So the client has $50,000 or $100,000, they're really going to be hard-pressed, I think, in many cases, to find a financial advisor to guide them. 
So let me, let me give you I another. I think that's something so, that needs to be explored. So, yeah, so the big difference between a broker and a fiduciary responsibility, as long as a broker is selling you a legitimate security, like two shares of Apple, they're, they're off the hook. But if a financial advisor sells you two shares of a- Apple and Apple tanks, then the financial advisor is in trouble or at risk? Liable. Liable. Well, pot- potentially. Uh, but the question is, how was it sold? In what format was that sold? Was it sold in a managed account that had high fees? And could the advisor have found a cheaper way to deliver that to the customer? That's you know, integral to being a fiduciary. Your economic interest as the advisor doesn't matter once you're a fiduciary. And that's the great change over here. So what this sounds like is the government is saying financial advisors have only been operating out of self-interest. Yes. They don't care about the client. And all they care about is making fees. As a certified financial planner and as a person who has trained financial planners, what do you think, what do you say to that comment? I think it's hogwash, frankly. I mean, I've operated on both sides, the fees and the brokerage side. And in either case, I operated under the same standard of guidelines, fiduciary guidelines as a certified financial planner. But you, so, always, and, you always represented the client first, that's what you're saying. Absolutely. And, and by wearing my brokerage hat, I wasn't limited in terms of the products or services I had to offer, nor was I incentivized to offer one product or another. Just as, just as, as you are on the fiduciary side, the same, the same rules apply. But I tell you what, I have been in the kind of the back trenches of some of these financial planning companies. And I would say there's anything but fiduciary. Most of the times they're selling what they have to sell. They're selling inventory versus what's best for the client. And you disagree with that. I'm not denying that hasn't happened. It's just in my purview, I have not seen that. Yeah, um, in the 20 me, years I've been me, doing this, just, I've never been. Go ahead, David. So there's, a, there's different categories of advisors it's important to understand. There's certified financial planners like John who have to conduct themselves as fiduciaries by definition, which is great. But then there's a large swath of advisors who aren't fiduciaries, who aren't certified financial planners, but who are brokers. And it's those brokers that operate under a different standard and do not have to follow that fiduciary responsibility. So, David, what percentage would you say roughly percentage of bad actors are there out there? Well, I wouldn't necessarily call them all bad actors. I would say it's a different it's a different way of. No, I mean, of, I mean, how you know, how many? Business. I mean, what percentage of say, people are operating with bad behavior, unethical uh, behavior, or or? That's hard I'm to call, sure. Kim. I mean, that's not. I'm the just, point. I'm just. I'm not sure. What I can tell you is that about maybe fifty to sixty percent of advisors are probably operating as brokers. They're not all operating as bad actors, but they're probably all selling something that could be acquired less expensively. See, my, 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 what I think what I'm hearing is that a lot of times they're, the broker or the, or the advisor is encouraged to sell something with the highest commission. Isn't that true? Oftentimes that's true. And oftentimes they're encouraged to sell the firm they work for, right. that yes. proprietary product that right. that firm offers, as opposed to some other product. So that would be not fiduciary. Correct. In a fiduciary world which we're moving to, it's going to be really difficult to sell those proprietary products because, again, 
it would only be appropriate if it truly was in the client's very best interest. Right. So when we come back, we'll be talking more about this uh, challenge, this problem. You know, we're here from the government. We're here to help you and all this. And I always get a little suspicious when the government steps in to help you. You know, what John was talking about, this could be Obamacare for the financial services industry. I was about two years ago, I went to this new doctor I'd never been to before. And his only question is, what insurance card are you carrying? And and it was I got the cold shoulder treatment. And when I showed him, I had a pretty high, you know, a great company. He says, okay, okay, we'll let him in here. And I saw his room filled with other people who were hoping to get a, a get a, an audience with him. But because I carried a high-paying health care insurance card, he was happy to see me. John, is that what you're talking about? That's exactly what I'm talking about, and I've had the exact same experience. Any comments, Kim? Yes. Well, the, the regulation we're talking to John and David about is one that's going to be enforced to make sure that financial planners put the client's best interest at first which we think they should have done anyway. But anyhow, so here's my question. Who the heck wants this? Why, why did it, where did it come from? Who is really benefiting from this? I could chime in. This is politis- politicians once again confusing activity with accomplishment. This what? is Elizabeth Warren saying, look what I've done for you. I'm saving you money, and I'm going to protect you, and I'm going I'm to slap the hands of those terrible financial advisors and Wall Street. And then you have the legal industry who's going to greatly benefit on this because of their of their newfound ability to implement all kinds of legal attacks. Are they going to be able to sue more? Are, are there going to be more oh, lawsuits? Yeah, absolutely. Because you're going to be able oh, to absolutely. sue your financial advisor now more easily. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. You won't, it, won't, won't, it won't be long, Kim, before you see the commercials that have you lost money in the stock market? Call 1-800-your-lawyer. Wow. You know, your wow. Lawyer. Yeah. I've seen like some of those already. The they're they're yeah, starting. They're starting to pop up. Yeah. So, so I see it on the, from the political standpoint and then also from the, uh, from the legal standpoint. Frankly, I mean, this is me, but I, I really think this is a government – this is the first step in a government takeover of the 401K business. Wow. When they see 4 to $5 trillion in 401K assets, they want their hands on that. And I think this was sort of their Trojan horse to start that process. Because the 401K is not subject to tax until the person retires, right? Yep, Correct. So David, what do you have to David Machiel, what do you have to say about all this and why would somebody want this so called we're from the government here to help you business taking over? I think John said it correctly. Uh, you know, it gives politicians an opportunity to claim that they've done something for voters. Uh, but nothing is that simple. In execution and in practice, like Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act was an unaffordable care act. This may go against investors in the long run. I think it may. It's certainly going to transfer a lot of money from one pocket to the other. And one of the pockets that are going to get lined are lawyers. Because, you know, up until this point, you know, people in general didn't have the opportunity to uh, sue a financial firm or a financial advisor. Now this creates the opportunity for class action lawsuits. Wow. And those are very, very expensive, as you know, to litigate. Very profitable. Lawyers can make profitable. lawyers can make a fortune. Right. From class action lawsuits. So, so David, when this one senator says it's going to be more expensive, I've been reading about the, this. There's a shift to fee based. I don't understand this to fee based from commission based. How do, what, is that important? Yeah. Let's say somebody invested in a product. They put a hundred thousand dollars in a product, and it had a three percent commission. So the financial advisor is going to make three thousand dollars. 
the the new law would say it would be better to not have a commission but have a fee annually of say one percent one thousand dollars well what does that tell us in three years the client's going to be paying the same amount of money but if the client stays with the investment for ten years then the client will be paying ten thousand dollars in fees so depending on the type of client the need the amount of money this may actually cost clients a lot more money than they would have paid by paying a commission just one time. So to say, um, simplify it, that the the poor are out of the out of the picture right now. So the middle class without much money under in account, under management, they're in big trouble then. Yeah, and the government's answer to that is a robot will help you. You know, you'll go to a website and you'll put in a few, you know, answer a few questions and it will give you an automated portfolio. That's the answer. The problem with that is that anyone who knows how financial services really works and anyone who understands the dynamics between a financial advisor and a client understands that financial advisors are doing a lot that isn't necessarily economic. They're yeah. doing a lot of hand-holding, especially in tough times. They're, they're acting like psychologists yeah. at certain critical points. And this is a benefit that is absolutely lost when we rely on a robot to be our investment advisor. I'll add to that. I mean, I just read a recent study by Vanguard that shows working with an advisor provides around three percentage points of outperformance. And a lot of that just comes from behavioral coaching, as David mentioned. I mean, there have been other studies that back this up showing it's really just hand-holding more important than actually picking the right investments. Remember a year ago, July, we had a morning where the Dow was down about 1,000 points in a couple of hours? The robo-advisor crash. Well, there was a crash. There was a flash crash, right? Right. But imagine if you had your money with a human advisor versus someone who had it with a robo-advisor. Now, those robo-advisors give you an app for your iPhone. And how easy would it be to click on that phone See your accounts going down rapidly and ending the pain by pushing the button to sell, as opposed to having to get on the phone with a human advisor who says, you know what, pass, stay the course. Which client was better served? Because we know the next day the market went right back up. Good point. But what's what's going to happen now, what you're saying, if the advisor says stay the course and the market keeps going down, then you're open for lawsuit right there. Yeah, and the government may profess to say, you know, this new law is going to save you $16 billion. But everybody's looking for simple answers and simple phrases. They don't go into these other issues that are real-world issues that can cause people, cost people much more than $16 billion they supposedly will be saved. Right. Once again, it's Robert Kiyosaki, The Rich Day Radio Show. We're talking about a very, very important program for all of you today. It has to do with the government stepping in with new regulations. It's already happened in parts again. of Europe and Asia. And it's now coming to the U.S. April or May of this year, 2017. And the, and the government's here to help you. But what it really means is for those of you who are just starting out and you don't have much money under management in a retirement account, there's going to be fewer financial advisors to hold your hand and actually educate you through this process of setting aside enough money so that someday you can retire. So it's a very important program. Our guests today are John McGregor, a certified financial planner, and he has a good, great offer to all of you for free. Questions to ask when selecting a financial advisor. You can get that at macfinancial@outlook.com. 
And our other guest is David Machia. He's a founder and CEO of Wealth2K. His website is davidmachia.com. And David, would you mind telling us quickly what the Wealth2K does? Yeah, we provide systems that uh, financial firms use to help people make the conversion when they retire, turning their lump sum of money into sustainable retirement income. When they do that, it requires you know, different kinds of investing techniques, and our firm provides the tools that advisors need to help people in that regard. So while we're on the break, you said to me there's a very big difference between so-called saving for retirement and then after you've, you've had your savings, how to manage the – How to plan it. How, how to, to plan, plan and manage it. So you don't run out of it before you uh, kick the bucket, right? Is that correct? That's right, and it couldn't be more different. And the way I describe it is people uh, RO, to people is ROI. When you're accumulating money, ROI is important. It means return on investment. But when you retire and you have to turn your savings into income, ROI is still very important, but it takes on a completely different definition. It's about reliability of income. And that's the great challenge, to create income that's going to be reliable and sustainable when people are living longer. So, it's a big challenge that people need help with. So, so, David, in talking with this regulation, how does it get policed? How does it get enforced? Who's, who's going to do oh, that? Great. Is that going to be another nightmare? <laughs> great question. You know, the government has promulgated this law in the form of the Department of Labor. They have oversight over IRA and 401K type of plans, right? But they have no police department. They don't have any enforcement mechanism. So what they've done is they've appointed the plaintiff's attorney, the plaintiff bar, to be the police officers. And it's this threat the attorney? of lawsuits. The attorneys are the police, the police force. And they are the ones who are going to, through the threat of lawsuits or actual suit, police this law. Okay, so wait, let me get back. So it's the attorneys who are going to police it <laughs> and to create more lawsuits. I mean, correct. in their best interest would be to have more lawsuits, correct? This is the government's engineering oh my of financial gosh. services. Oh, that's scary. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> once again, oh, Robert Kiyosaki, comical. the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. But today we're talking about a new law that's going to be passed sometime around April 2017 that nobody's talking about. The news is all about Trump and what he's been doing. But there's a, there's a new law being passed that will affect all of you out there, especially if you're young and just starting out, especially for those of you without much financial education, for those of you who need to set aside money for your future, for those of you who have parents, friends, cousins, sisters, and brothers who are out of money, this program will affect all of you, all of us, because we're ultimately going to pay for it. And so we're talking about this new law that's going to make it tougher to be a financial advisor. So you can listen to this Rich Dad program anytime, anywhere on iTunes and Android. And you can listen to this program again, this specific program again, at richdadradio.com because we archive all of our programs. Our guests today are friends of Rich Dad, friends of mine personally, John McGregor, fellow Hawaii Harlequins rugby player. He is a certified financial planner. He's a new book coming out early 2017, Connecting Your Brain to Your Wallet. And also he has a special offer, a white paper, a free white paper, questions to ask when selecting a financial advisor. Send your request to macfinancial at outlook.com. Our other guest is David Macchia. He's CEO of Wealth2K, specializes in teaching 
retirees or people about to retire how to to maximize the cash flow or their income from their retirement so they don't run out of money before they their days are up. His website is davidmackia.com. So, Kim, what do you, what you like to say? Well, if uh, if you're listening, if you just tuned in, um, go to the podcast and listen to the last segment because uh, David just blew me away when he said, you know, we're always looking at to follow the money. How come something gets done? Usually you got to follow the money. Well, uh, we kind of followed the money, and now it makes sense that the people who are going to benefit financially tremendously are the lawyers. And not, not the financial planner. Not the, the financial plan. The lawyers, and not the not the clients, not the American taxpayer. The lawyers, and not only that, but it's the lawyers who are going to police this thing and determine who do they sue, <laughs> <laughs> and how often do they sue. So it it's 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 it, it just blows me away. But my my question uh, to start with, uh, John, we're talking about this regulation. How does this regulation affect you, and how you're going to be dealing with your own clients? But as we talked earlier in the first segment, we talked about the cost for the advisor going up, compensation is going down, so it's a real profit squeeze on a lot of financial advisors, which is going to force a lot of advisors out of the business. But one small example for me personally is my malpractice insurance, which we're all required to carry. Right now I pay right around $3,000 a year for that. We anticipate the cost of malpractice insurance to skyrocket, just as you've seen in the medical community. Because, because there's going to be so many uh, more lawsuits coming down. Exactly. So, Lawyers are now going to have free will to sue whoever, whenever, um, no matter what, and I'm going to have to protect myself. So yes, and so how yeah, do you? How are you going to protect yourself? How how do you talk to a client then? Fantastic question, Kim. That's the other area where the average investor, or all investors, I, I should say, are going to be hamstrung. Our hands are going to be tied in terms of what we recommend. I'm going to be ultra ultra cautious and conservative in my recommendations. It's going to eliminate a lot of creative planning and a lot of creative strategizing for my clients because I don't want to go anywhere near outside the guardrails because, Lord forbid, if something were to happen, I'm, going to, I'm potentially going to be sued. So it's going, to, it's going to really kind of limit my ability or our ability to provide meaningful customization uh, proactive strategies. We're really, I think we're going to get into this area where a lot of these investment strategies and recommendations are going to be cookie cutter, unfortunately. So John, if I'm a young person, let's say 35 and have a hundred thousand dollars, I'm more, I'm more of a liability to you than a client, right? Yeah, unfortunately you're right. From a profitability standpoint, when I look at what it's going to cost for me to take you on as a client, as well as the risk, it's really, hate to say this, but it may not be worth my time, effort um, to, to service you the way you need to be serviced. Now, I will have other options for people in that situation, uh, such as a robo-offering that I am not involved, but it is still connected to my firm. But in terms of one-on-one -on -one connection with me, very limited. So David Macchio, how is this going to affect you? It's going to affect the consumer a lot. Robert. And the reason is, if you polled 100 people on the street and asked them how much they've saved for retirement, I think most of them would probably give you a pretty accurate answer. But if you ask the same 100 people how much monthly income that they're going to have at retirement, I'd venture to say nobody can answer that question. 
because the financial industry has focused people on their number, their accumulated value, yep. but they haven't focused them on their income. And that's a problem. Now, when people get to retirement, it's a big challenge because they have to protect themselves against risks. What happens if I take a bad year to retire, like 2000 or 2008? What could that mean to my money when I start taking money out of my account at a time when stocks are declining? That's a big risk. What happens if, uh, if I can't keep pace with inflation? What happens if I live longer than I think I might? How am I going to ensure that my income lasts as long as I, as I do? So these are, these are key questions, and they absolutely require a financial advisor's participation. Because the financial advisor, and not all financial advisors, I would say uh, you know, a segment of financial advisors, really have the skill set to help clients navigate this challenge. So to the extent that it's going to create additional liability, as John said, there's going to be less advisors willing to help the retiree. And that's going to cause retirees to go broke in retirement. That's the law working backwards, the way I see it. So you have the same concerns John have of litigation and liability? It's a problem. It's a problem for financial advisors, especially with retirees, because if you make a mistake at age 65, it's a permanent mistake. You can't recover from it. So how, do you, how would you prepare your own clients? We have a strategy that uh, financial advisors deliver to clients. It's called the Income for Life Model. It's an investing strategy that you know, really seeks to create the sustainable inflation-adjusted income. Um, and I would use something like that because I know that has been proven over time. But not every financial advisor has that. And not every financial advisor has the skill to know how to handle this you know, more complex need. So it's going to leave a gap in the marketplace. There's going to be a lot of people who really need the guidance at retirement who just won't get it. Well, once again, it's Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show. We're talking to David Macchio, founder and CEO of Wealth2K's website is davidmacchio.com. And also John McGregor, dear friend, certified financial planner. David, if you had your crystal ball right now, let's say it's 2020. And the bulk of the baby boomer generation, which is 1960, 1946 to 1964, has already gone through their last working days. What do you think this new regulation, this new rules coming down, what, what does your crystal ball say the future is going to look like for many of them? Well, there's 3 million baby boomers hitting age 65 each day. So by 2020... Uh, the first baby boomers will be age 73. A lot of them are going to be struggling at that time, I think. The new fiduciary rule theoretically helps the younger person who has a long time to accumulate, but it really doesn't do much for the person at retirement who needs a strategy to create long-term retirement income. And so, John McGregor, what, what, do you, what does your crystal ball say? I think it's bleak. I think up, um, upcoming retirees are going to be faced with similar financial challenges we haven't seen since the Great Depression. And I could just go to a statistics to back that up. 55% of households are at risk of not being able to completely cover food, housing, and health care expenses. 75% of people are living paycheck to paycheck. 64% of people could not come up with $400 for an emergency car repair bill. I could just go down the list. 20, you know, 50% don't think they will ever be able to retire. And I don't think, I don't see this getting any better regardless of who's president. So, I think it's a train wreck. 
so you so you did call this um, new regulation Obamacare for financial services. So any chance you think Trump's going to overturn it? <laughs> we we don't know. Obviously, what we do know is that we you know have a president now who is all about lowering regulation and certainly shifting um, regulations that were created in the Obama administration, as this rule was created at that time, just within the past two years. So we also know that there's some people who are close to Trump, advisors, who've come out very strongly against the rule. So while we haven't heard anything yet from the Trump administration, it is possible that it could be delayed or even canceled or sidelined somehow. We just don't know yet. What advice would you have for somebody now? Let's say this regulation does come through. Trump doesn't stop it. What would you say to them? Try to get smart, get educated, listen to your program, take ownership of your money, uh, take on the responsibility of, of you know making it an issue that's part of your, your, your daily thoughts. And if you can find a, a financial advisor who you have trust and faith in to work with you, and all the better. Thank well, you. Well said. John, what do you have to say to them? I, I, I really don't have a secret sauce um, that I haven't said before. It really boils down to blocking and tackling just the basics. As I always say, and this isn't a commercial for Rich Dad, but play the cash flow game. And that's an excellent way to get started in this. Secondly, the number one way people fail financially is that they're completely unorganized. Too many times they come to me with a junk drawer of financial products and services they've accumulated over the years that they don't know what, what it's for or how it works or what the costs are. But get organized with all your statements and so forth. That's, that's the first hurdle. And the second is you've got to establish a budget. You know, 65% of people don't even have a budget. And, and the reason people are financially failing is because, bottom line, they outspend their income, namely because they don't have a budget. And then the last thing I would do is, is get your will done. Get your estate plan in order. I can't tell you how many catastrophes, family catastrophes, I've seen because the will or the estate plan wasn't done. But then lastly, and most importantly, as David talked about, is start educating yourself. You cannot rely on the government or your company to take care of you. It's really on your shoulders. And, and one plug sure. for you, John, and, and your work and for David is that when you talk about, you know, you've got to face the facts, you've got to find out where you are, what you've got, people are frightened to look at what they've got. They don't want to face it because it's not pretty. So it's another mm -hmm. reason why you need somebody like a John or a David to at least get you to face the facts of where you are so you can figure out where you want to go. Well, one of the biggest takeaways I had, okay, so um, John McGregor called this the Obamacare for the financial services, and, and maybe it does get overridden by Trump and his administration, but that doesn't really even matter because the bottom line, and David Machia said it so well, is you got to take active ownership of your money. I mean, you work so hard for it, and then you just blindly turn it over and hope and pray somebody's going to do something with it. And, yeah, they are going to do something with it. They're going to rake up a lot of fees, and they're going to cost you a lot of money in many cases. So the main thing I took away from this show, no matter what the government does or no matter whatever regulation comes down, it's up to you to be responsible and take active ownership of your money. And John McGregor has been willing to stay longer for this program. And I'm going to thank David Machia, founder and CEO of Wealth2K. You can submit your questions to Ask Robert at richdadradio.com. So, Melissa, what's the first question? Our first question today comes from Hank in Phoenix, Arizona. Favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. 
Do you worry about cybersecurity in the new world of most people having to manage their finances through robo-advisors, i.e. online? I do. I do. John, what do you think? Absolutely. No question about it. Yep. How do they do that? Well, there's no foolproof way of protecting yourself, but there are programs and software that you can embrace in order to at least minimize the potential. How how do robo-advisors work? In in terms of robo-advisors, you're basically operating with a computer interface by yourself, and it takes you through a series of questions, and then it spits out an, an allocation, a recommendation for you, and you fund it. There's no interaction with a human being, and you're on your own. And we, we did a program on Rich Dad Radio about that not too long ago. If you go to the, this is why we archive all of our programs at richdadradio.com. Uh, it was a program with Garrett Sutton, Rich Dad Advisor. He's our attorney. And also Adam Levin, L-E-V-I-N. And they talk about cybersecurity in these times. So, again, go to our website at richdadradio.com and look up Adam Levin and Garrett Sutton on cybersecurity. That's why we archive our programs, just so you can stay abreast and listen to what's really going on in the news today. That's not covered under fake news and alternative facts. Next question, Melissa. Our next question comes from Candace in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. She says, do I have any recourse if I've gotten bad advice from an advisor but didn't catch it until I started seeing declines in my monthly investment statements? John McGregor, what's the answer to that? Absolutely. First thing I would do is gather up all the documentation that you've accumulated from the time you started working with that advisor, all the notes you have, anything that you remember, and then I would contact that advisor or you could even go directly to the branch manager of that financial advisor. By law, they are required to take that complaint to their operation and compliance manager, and that's what starts the whole process. Without a doubt, if you think that you've been misguided in any way, yes, yes, you certainly have a Recourse. What, no, what, not saying that. Yeah, well, John, what's the ahead, difference sorry, between how do you prove it was bad advice? What if you just, what if you just lost money in your account? I mean, everybody's you know depending on advisors to give them good advice, but let's say the market goes down and they lose money, do they have legal recourse at that point? Not necessarily. It's a great point, Kim. Just because you lose money, that doesn't mean it's the advisor's fault. We all know that investing, there's inherent risk involved, but it really depends on what that portfolio is versus what your risk tolerance, your goals, did, did that really match up with who you are? That's when third parties get involved to help really ascertain whether or not something was whether done. Whether it really was bad advice or, yeah. or negligent. Yeah, it's hard to say now okay. without looking at that, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. got it. Thank you. That's a great question. So next question, Melissa. Our next question comes from Stephen in Las Vegas. Favorite book, Midas Touch. Are annuities good for retirement? I have no idea. John, what do you think? <laughs> Uh, well, you know, it's interesting. I wrote a white paper on this. Um, and, and what titled, is an annuity? Uh, Let's start with what is an annuity? Yeah, good question. Annuity is basically an investment. It's a mutual fund or a basket of stocks and bonds wrapped with an insurance blanket around it. And the insurance blanket is meant to provide some downside protection as well as guaranteed income for life in many cases. So it's really a, it's, it's a mutual fund with an insurance blanket around that. Now, as a result of that insurance, you're paying for that insurance. You're paying for some of these other bells and whistles that come along with annuities. So so annuities are notoriously expensive. Prices have come down, but they're still far more expensive than if you were just to purchase that mutual fund or that index fund 
directly. The problem is, this is why I wrote this white paper, is that annuities are the most oversold yet misunderstood products on Wall Street. And they come in so many different flavors. Um, and they can be extremely complicated to understand, and they're always changing. So if you're, you're going to buy an annuity, I, you really need to take the time. And, and don't just go off of what the advisor recommend, recommends. So John, a lot of times if you get into them, you can't get out of them for a long period of time. Right. So how do they get their hands on this white paper? Oh, well, they can just email me again at macfinancial at outlook.com. And the reason I wrote it is that I've seen so many advisors use annuities as their primary, in fact, many cases, their sole investment vehicle for their clients. And it's insane. Um, I knew an advisor that all she did was use annuities for her retirement uh, clients. And it was all the same for all of her clients. I thought it was financial suicide or malpractice, frankly. Um, but the annuity is not meant to be the panacea. An annuity can make sense for a piece of your retirements, but not the whole thing. Thank you. So, Melissa, next question. Our next question comes from Melissa in Plano, Texas. Favorite book, Rich Dad Guide to Investing. She said, I would like to know your opinion on life insurance. Well, just don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> don't plan to die. <laughs> I think it's just, the way I look at it, it's essential as, un, unless you have a lot of money. Unless we, you have a lot of assets. A lot of assets. We don't li need life insurance. But if you don't have a lot of income, don't have a lot of assets, you need life insurance to cover it in, in, just in case you slip on that banana peel. What do you say, John? I would chime in on this. I Again, this is another area where oversold, misunderstood, and too many times the, the life insurance salesman, that's their only tool in their toolbox. You know, so everything looks like a nail to them, and every problem they're going to solve with life insurance. Um, so I've seen a lot of a lot of overselling of life insurance for individuals, and it really drives me crazy when I see a life insurance guy selling a, uh, life insurance policies on the children. So how do you know um, if life insurance is good for you or not? Well, you know, the general rule that I have is, is, yes, life insurance can play an important role, but for the most part I'd be using term insurance because it's a lot cheaper. And in many cases you don't need life insurance for your entire life. Now, they try to build in there's a retirement component to it and there's a retirement savings component. I would rather have that separate. But in many times, a young couple may want a term policy to cover if something were to happen to the, to, the, uh, to the breadwinner of the family, enough to cover the cost of the mortgage. So if the breadwinner were to pass away, there'd be enough to cover the mortgage on the, uh, on, on the house, the big expense and put them in a much better uh, situation to move forward. But, but don't, but, I, I, I would. But don't, sorry, most, but don't most insurance guys rather sell you whole life because the commission's yes, bigger. Correct. And whole correct. life whole is kind of like a savings life. plan, right? Yeah. It's, it's a term policy with a, with a savings program attached to it. And then it gets, it gets tricky and confusing because in many cases, if you want to tap in to that, accumulated asset, you're not just taking it out. You have to borrow from it. And then there's borrowing costs. And then it's just, I would, my, my personal opinion, if you need life insurance, great, get term policy and then invest the difference separately. Right. Melissa, next question. Our next question comes from Davis in Chicago, Illinois. Favorite book, Cash Flow Quadrant. 
He says, as a college student about to enter the labor force, what advice would you have for making contributions to a 401k? He says, I agree with you, Robert, that 401k plans are not the best investment, but most companies match up to a certain percentage. Should I just max out the company match to essentially double my money? That's a great question. That is a good question. If you plan on not investing in your financial education, get a 401k. Talk to guys like John. Set up a savings plan. But Kim and I don't have one. Our company doesn't have one because we'd rather teach people to be professional investors. So it's up to you. I don't think the 401k is a very good plan. It just came out just this year that the guy who put the 401k together says it's a mistake. And the only people getting rich are the mutual fund companies and the, and the 401k companies. But the average person should have one, even though it's a bad plan. Any comments? Well, you, you have a 401k if you cannot take that money and make more money with it. Bottom line. If you, can't, if you don't know how to do that, then yeah, do a 401k. But exactly what you said, Robert. The guy who invented them is now coming out and saying these are really big mistakes. It, it got out of control. There's all these fees. It's not what it was intended to do. Da-da-da-da. It was never meant to be a retirement vehicle. It was supposed to be a part of it. John, that's your our, comments, please. Your comments. Take. Yeah, if, if you're an employee and that's fine with you and you don't plan to – become self-sufficient with your own business, your own income, then a 401k can make sense. And if they're giving you free money, you might as well contribute up to that, up to that percentage. I will also say that most people haven't saved any, anything. And those that have, it's in their 401k. And I do question whether or not they'd have anything if it wasn't for the 401k. Um, so 401k, yeah, it, yes. It depends it upon the individual. Course. It depends on the uh, individual. That's correct. It all depends on the individual. I guess that's the final answer, I would say. Yes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.